0: Design Your Life is constantly trying to provide our listeners with engaging and helpful content. I talk with amazing people from all over the world about their lives and their careers, and I truly enjoy that. But in order to improve what we do and provide you all with content which you want to hear, we would love to hear from you. There's a link to a quick survey in the show notes and on the Design Your Life Instagram page. In three weeks' time, we will pick one respondent to win a one-hour personal coaching session with me. Thank you and stay safe. Welcome to the latest episode of Redesign Your Life. The series dedicated to rethinking and building a better future, discovering new ways of doing and being, and redesigning what is the norm. Throughout this series, I speak to people all over the world about how we can redesign a better future, not only for ourselves, but for the future generations to come. My guest today is Andrew Tuck, the editor of the international acclaim magazine, Monocle. Andrew has been the editor of Monocle since its launch in 2006. Since then, he has been central to the development of all Monocle's editorial projects, including the radio station, Monocle 24, and the move into book publishing. Andrew also presents shows across Monocle 24, including his own weekly program about city living, The Urbanist. He's a regular speaker at conferences on urbanism, quality of life, and the media. Andrew was a recent guest of our first DeFrost webinar, an event where we delved into the changing dynamic of place, from our homes to where we work, and everywhere in between. Hi, Vince. Andrew.
1: How are you? Hey, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Oh, uh, good. Is this line good for you?
0: Yeah, no, it's perfect.
1: I was just going to say, there's a slight, there's a tiny, tiny bit of delay on this. So, um, uh, if if when you ask a question, I pause just like a millionth of a second longer. It's just there's a slight, um, I think it's slightly slowed down um, reception.
0: Okay, like that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, And thanks again for last week. It was fun. It was good.
0: Yeah, that was really fun. And we got so, so much positive uh, feedback from people. Um, I haven't looked at it. So because I know, <laughs> I know there was issues at the beginning. And so I didn't want to spend too much time kind of looking over it again, just to, um, uh, to see me and Kat with, you know, sharing one uh, set of headphones uh, together. But it was really, really cool. And, and very, um, you know, as I said, at the time, it was a real honor to uh, have you on connecting with you. And um, uh, certainly the audience felt that as well, certainly locally.
1: Yeah, I think what's interesting is you know that you just don't know how these things are gonna work. But I had um quite a lot of uh people contact me through Instagram, through uh, email to so say they'd enjoyed it, and then I've obviously been copied in on your LinkedIn posts and, and seen you had a nice response to that afterwards. So yeah,
0: really and cool. then you've got Fabian Barron on as well. That'd be super cool. And I had and <laughs> this is funny, isn't it? So so after the after our webinar last week, um hang on, was it last week? Yeah, it was last week. Jesus, all blurring. Yeah. Um you know, I emailed you Say, hey, thanks, it was really awesome. And then you responded saying, yeah, it was really great. And even your dad s- sent me a nice message. I <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, what the hell is my dad doing emailing you, for Christ's sakes? Uh, <laughs> and we can laugh at no, all. No, it was,
1: it was, it was just such a lovely note. It was just, like, really nice. It was just, like, well, I've just been listening to my son's view
0: <laughs> on, <the, laughs> on the webinar. So cool. Yeah. Well, it's kind of a you have a fan in your dad. That's the best thing. Yeah, no, it's it's really cool. And I think the thing with uh, my dad's been a major influence for me. And and I don't know if I talked about the other day, but he used to be um, a compositor on the Vancouver Sun um, when it was all hot metal. And I remember as a kid because I grew up in Canada. um, I was born in England, but grew up in Canada. And I remember going and seeing my dad, kind of rows of these guys in aprons, white aprons, and they're all with tweezers and they're all glasses and, you know, just painstakingly putting a newspaper together. Amazing. I think you're, you,
1: so were you grew up in Canada, then you came, to, you came to the UK to work and then on to Oz.
0: Yeah, my parents got homesick for, for England, uh, as you would, uh, the Rolling Hills and pubs and things like that and family. And uh, they returned to England when I was about 15, um, when I was in year 12. And, uh, you know, back to Sussex down in um, near Brighton. And, um, yeah, it was quite an adjustment. And through that, I kind of struggled with, hang on, hang on, you have to turn this around. This is not meant to be about me. It's meant to be about you. No, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) True journalist, eh? Look at listen to you. (laughs) Got the upper hand already. Uh, um, anyway, so, so, uh, well, you know. go <laughs> But I think that it, that there's kind of a similar. It's a nice segue. It's to, a trick. Yeah, it's a good trick, man. You should be doing this, not me. Uh, well, you do do it. That's the key thing. <laughs> I need to learn from you. But so it was. It's a good segue, just because obviously um, you know that exposure for me on newspapers and type and words, etc., really influenced me into the world of design and. And our, our paths didn't cross, but we both um, have experience working on the independent uh, newspaper in the UK. And uh, we touched upon this on, on this the other day where I'd, I'd worked um, there on a redesign of the Saturday magazine. I think you must have been on the Sunday magazine at that time or shortly after that, I think. And then I worked on the redesign of, of the newspaper. And so I was really kind of pleased to hear that you'd had that background as well, um, obviously from a... From an editor's perspective, but um, nonetheless, still working on a, a fast-paced publication.
1: Yeah, and I think that yeah, that's you know, one of the things when you look at Monocle, you know that Tyler, uh, our chairman, also had a similar experience working for newspapers. Not the same as me, but as a freelancer. But um, there's quite a few people who've been through the doors of Monocle who had newspaper experience. So the fun thing is, unlike most glossy magazines or most monthly publications, not that glossy, but most monthly publications, normally you have an idea of what's going to go in a couple of months in advance and you have a very tight print schedule. We've always been a bit seat of pants. We've always left it the last week to be really sure what's going in mm. and we've been commissioning stories since issue one that will actually only come in as copy maybe two days before we go to print and for a monthly magazine that is a little bit scary but it wow. makes it a little bit more exciting and it's always allowed it to feel you know, we've always wanted it when somebody opens up the magazine say my god how did they get that in there and I know issues are a bit slower again to Australia but at the moment, we've got these issues that have been coming out around the, you know, the pandemic, mm. and the first one was about home, as you know. And then this mm. this this, uh, this next one has been about uh, what happens next. But especially for that first one, there's quite a few letters. In fact, one just came in this morning from somebody in the state saying it's really impressive how quickly you changed your reporting and how quickly you got on top of this story from Us Magazine. So I think readers are clever, and readers kind of see the speed at which you can operate and then that's allowed us to do you know radio and things at that same speed and oddly the metabolism of having radio and daily newsletters makes you into a tiny but uh successful newsroom as well so suddenly things are possible uh, because like you because of this background in newspapers
0: that's incredible isn't it just the the variety of um uh mediums you guys are using there um for the for the publication and i guess it's kind of Grounded in the whole kind of, I guess, newspaper reporting kind of uh, hysteric, hist- hysterical um, hist- history of reporting kind of the news, um, but but um, obviously with the, the monocle um, perspective on things. So does it does it feel easy, yeah, so, easier than than I mean to work on a daily or or uh, a weekly? Um, does does it do you kind of get a bit of a rhythm with the monthly? Um, so it's kind of less stressful yeah, or
1: not? You, it, I guess it's, if you're just doing the monthly, it's less stressful. But we've made it stressful for ourselves by adding in book publishing and deadlines for radio projects and all sorts of things. So there always seems to be a, a deadline to be hit. But I think you need some of that adrenaline as well, because often we find that you you can commission something that feels like a very good story, and maybe the pictures are pretty good, but if it sits around for ages waiting to run, mm-hmm. somehow it's got a sell by date, day. It begins to kind of lose its power and its potential. So mm-hmm. often you, you do commission something that's pretty good. It just doesn't get in the magazine for a couple of months, and then you look at it again and you think, it just doesn't feel pertinent anymore, so it kind of falls to the wayside. So there's something about speed that adds value as well. So, you, you, of course, you don't want just to do things because they're fast, but... Unless you have a little bit of a rhythm, unless you have some momentum about your storytelling, then it it kind of loses its power a little bit. But then on the other side, you know, we, you know we're a strange brand in that sense that we we don't do Twitter and we don't pump things out through Facebook. <laughs> 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 if there's someone actually at the door, there is the risk of doing <laughs> things like this, um, and. Um, what was that? Was that a, and, uh, a dog? So, um, that's a dog. That's a dog. A delivery man and all sorts of things going on in the, in the
0: contemporary world of journalism. Oh, that's fantastic!
1: Yeah, so I think that the funny the the, the funny thing is that we don't do um, and we don't do Facebook. And part of the reason for that is because we we do want people to be able to have time to read the things we're doing, to think about them, to see print on page, and to be able to appreciate magazines with all the effort that goes into them. So we're not just a, a brand for doing things fast either.
0: No, no. Well, you, you've been in it for the long run because you've, you've been in Monaco for 13 years, isn't that isn't that right?
1: Yeah. So m- me and Tyler met, when we were both in our 20s, mm-hmm. and I was working for um, a magazine called Time Out in London, and he came in to try and sell a story to my. Then boss, I was very junior in the office mm-hmm. and, uh, she happened not to be there a couple of times when he came in. And then one time he said, Oh, we should, we should get a coffee. And we had a conversation. We became friends. He was working in Manchester, uh, for a TV company and we stayed in touch ever since. And then where he was starting Monopo, he asked whether I'd come on board with that. And yeah, so I've been there since the beginning. We launched 2007 and, um, and strangely, because we've always added so many things every year, it, it still feels a little bit like a startup. <laughs> some years, you never get to that point where you think, "Oh, I know what I can do this year. I can, I can put my feet up on the desk and take extra holiday." And it's never got to that point. Wow. And I think for all of us now, you, you include, and we've talked about this. It's like we're all back in that stage of once again rethinking the business and rethinking how you navigate the year.
0: Yeah. yeah. And do you have ultimate kind of control over that saying, you know, what's in, what's out, um, even despite how much someone's effort they put into it? You know, when you chop a story last minute and things like that, um, is, it, is it like you're just curating that content to the to the, the moment it goes to press?
1: Yes, we're curating it to the minute it goes to press. So there are, there are you know, this, there are stage, stages, so uh, the the art director would have an opinion, Tyler would certainly have an opinion, I have a view. Um, but hopefully, by you get to the last few days, most things have been strength tested and you're pretty confident in what you're putting into the magazine. But there are some times when somebody's worked on a story which is pretty good and which has merit, but in the end, something else comes along. And You'll have to often have a discussion with an editor. And say, "Look, I'm really disappointed. I think it you know you know it's, it's just such a shame for the you know the photographer who put all this effort in, and the writer did a really good job. But in the end, I always kind of have to remind people that those two people are certainly important, and you don't want to deliberately kind of mess anybody around. But in the, the end, there's a, a bigger group of people that you have to keep an eye on, and that's the reader. So. If it's going to make a better magazine for you know the all the people who buy it, then they win over upsetting maybe a photographer for a month or paying a deal fee to a writer because it didn't get through the final stages. So I never feel guilty about that. In the end, we have to kind of keep an eye on what the reader needs, comes to us for, will be entertained by, enriched by, informed by. That that has to be the the guiding principle.
0: Mm. And what size is the team there um, putting, putting this publication together every month?
1: Well, that's the other funny thing, Vince, you know, is that, you know, we started with, I, I think, you know, an art director and, and a deputy, and despite all the things we've added in, I think you know, the art team is still probably like five people. There's five people on web, wow. there's three people on books, etc. cetera. Uh, so they're all very compact teams. And the reason it works is that most people who are there are working across disciplines. So, of course, there are some people who just do radio. They're a studio manager or a sound engineer. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the, the head of books who kind of just runs the, the books team. Mm-hmm. But most people who are working as journalists be maybe working on a book project one week. Uh, they may have a, their own podcast. Um, they'd be speaking for us at conferences and events. So, it all happens because everybody is getting involved in everything, and you can do that. It's only with a, it's difficult with a very tiny team to do that, and it's very difficult with a very big team to do that because people start having their own territories and don't want to help other people. Mm. But we're roughly, you know, a hundred people in total around the world, including everything we do. So that's you know, literally from front desk to the, the, the accounts team. That we're about a hundred people. And on the whole, that's a very good size of company to manage. You can still know everybody, you can um, still get to speak to most people during the week, um, and that allows you to be much more nimble and adaptive than if you were, you know, a thousand people or if you were five people.
0: Yeah, yeah. I guess you've got that whole network of photographers and writers around the world that you can call upon um, at any moment in time. yeah and that's
1: it's the same as you you know you've you've up the people that you collaborate and work with you know, in in the initial years you were trying to explain you know a, a take on the world whether that was you know the, the aesthetics of what ended up on page or whether that was the the tone of the reporting um, but then people are with you for a long journey, and many people who were contributing back in Issue one are still writing for the magazine. Mm-hmm. We take on lots of new voices every year and we need to. Mm-hmm. But by this point, there are lots of people who are uh, correspondents, and, you know, which normally means that they maybe they're working like 20% of the week for us or 30% of the week for us, but they have other gigs as well. Whereas some people on that list would be, I guess, a bit closer to like 80, 90% of the week. And then we have our own bureau, which are fully. Staffed by us, those are the people who are, who are on the payroll. So that's in Tokyo, Hong Kong, Toronto, New York, Zurich, and we have you know our own teams there, and and that again it, it lets us have a, a good way of filtering stories into the magazine. Because often when you're sitting in London looking for stories around the world, you're very dependent on your outsider's view. But here you know, in in Hong Kong, we have somebody who can uh, nip across the border. Even in the coming weeks, it seems like in China. But who's been reporting for us in uh, Indonesia, in Malaysia? I think even coming down to Australia a few, a few times for but us when the the correspondents there weren't able to do a story. So we have a good network of people who uh, who get the tone of what we do and and um, really do supply amazing content.
0: Even Australia, that's nice. Um- <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't mean even. <laughs> I don't so mean even
1: Australia. Even what I mean is, way. we actually
0: have.
1: We have, no, no. I mean, we have. We actually have a correspondent in Sydney. Yeah. We have a correspondent in and we, we, we have uh we have a um uh, a correspondent oddly in Adelaide as <laughs> well. And on top of that, we have in London on the team the the design editor Nolan Giles is um from the Sunshine Coast, okay. and the the number of times he tries to get mentions of the Sunshine Coast into the magazine. I think he wants to be the mayor of the Sunshine Coast one day. <laughs> um, our fashion uh, editor, <laughs> our fashion editor is um, born and raised in Perth. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's quite there's always has been a very strong uh, Aussie contingent on the magazine.
0: I like that how um, you know Australia gets a mention in, in most articles in most issues. There's always something to do with Australia, which is cool. And I think that it's really cool how you guys can have that global. What seems like a global balance um, of uh, of stories and interests, etc. I mean, is that deliberate, or is it just whatever story you kind of rises to the top in, for each article for each issue? No, I mean it's a it's a tricky
1: thing because you know, we we do have pretty good global coverage, but we don't pretend to cover every, everywhere in the same depth as a CNN or a, a BBC. So you know, we, we have a Moscow correspondent, or we will we have a, a, you know, a correspondent in China, but I wouldn't say that our reporting in those two places is oddly as strong as in the US or in Canada or even Australia. So we, we have to pick some of our battles. Um, our, as our readership has grown, we've also tried to make sure that those people feel looked after. So the, the funny thing about monopoly is that people pick it up because, yes, they want to see what the world looks like but a lot of people pick up that magazine because they also want to know what the world thinks of them so a very good example of it would be somewhere like, like you know portugal so portugal fascinating for a magazine like ours because it's a small enough country in europe that people feel that they need to speak english so unlike spain a bigger country where you know yeah lots of people do speak english but they tend to read their news in Spanish, and they might pick up a, 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 a magazine in English, but n- not so often. Whereas in Portugal, people just speak English. They, they 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 know how to converse in English, and they buy media in English. This is it's always been a good market for us. So Portugal is often a, a top ten selling country. And then what's fascinating is you know we did a couple of uh, very big reports on Portugal. And sales go through the roof there, because people like to see what you think of them, as well mm. as you know, as I said, the, the, the outward-looking perspective. So we also have to make sure that when we're doing our reporting, you know, the the US is our biggest single market for the magazine. Um, we have to make sure we've got good coverage of the US, and, you know, and in that top ten market are Australia and Canada, Hong Kong, Singapore, all those places that so we we need. To, be aware of our readers as well. So it, it's a it's a complicated balancing act to make sure that you're delivering perspectives and views and places which are off, off most people's grid, but also recognizing where people are in the world.
0: And that's interesting. I was just going to say, with the publication, uh, you moved to creating um, Monocle 24 Radio. I don't know how long ago that was. Was that just uh, a few years ago?
1: Well, it, it shows <laughs> almost a decade oh, is it? of making okay. radio. Right. Yeah, and, and, it's, and it, But it's still, as I said to you, it's, it, you're right. It's still feels like a real kind of like frontier world of you know, innovation every day. So it, it, it never felt like it's been there for that
0: long. I was wondering if it, if it diluted, like if people got the content from that versus buying the magazine, did that affect the magazine in any way? Or did it actually just bolster that? Well, I never know this I gap. You know, you, you, as you, to, to, you, you know this gap you said before around, um, whether well, it's delay, whether it's actually you trying to <laughs> decipher. There is a little, is a little bit of delay. It's not too bad. But <laughs> no, no, your questions are very good.
1: Oh. I'm just making sure I give proper answers oh, okay, as well. Okay, okay. Uh, so you want the, you, you you want to create a metabolism. I think you want to kind of create something that you feel that everything feeds into one another. So. We would like it, you know, the, the radio is free. You just, you know, the internet radio station, you can find it on your laptop, you just tune in, or you can download any of the shows, the podcasts for free from iTunes. Uh, it's paid for by key brand sponsorship that allow that to happen. Mm-hmm. But we hope that actually, you know, there's a lot of people who find Monocle first as a podcast or find Monocle because they like the music and they have it on in their office and they're like, okay, what's that? And then they realize there's a magazine that goes with it. So it's not always now that the magazine that's on the front foot, sometimes it's the radio doing recruiting for uh, the brand or raising awareness of the brand. So that's been interesting. And then with the magazine, you know, of course we try and send people back to radio as well. So, and oddly during the pandemic, that's been one of the, the most interesting things for us is, We've had to throw teams together in a different way because everyone's working from home. Mm -hmm. And actually, the old kind of office network of where people sat and who did what, it's all completely broken down. Mm -hmm. We have two meetings every morning, one one that runs through the world of print and one through the world of radio. But the teams go to both meetings. And it has allowed... The reporting, the outlook, the, the stories to merge in really interesting ways. Mm. but we have to provide you know fresh perspectives and content so the radio is there, of course to uh, tell stories and produce good journalism and to make money. We, we, we need to pay people's salaries at the end every month so yeah. be a place where we can uh, bring in interesting brand sponsorships and brand partnerships. but all the things that we do they have to have a a tone and a voice so that they all kind of fit together. So you you, you feel that you're in a world rather than it's a a kind of set of disparate companies.
0: Yeah, it's pretty incredible. It's funny you say people have just discovered it through the radio. Do you find that funny that such a a global icon such as Monocle uh, as a publication that people are still discovering it today after all this time and such visibility?
1: Well, yes and no, but yeah, you know, as you said, you know, we've been around since two thousand and seven. So, it, <laughs> I don't know if it happens in your office, but it happens in my office. And it petrifies me. People come in and let you say you know, they come in for you know an interview for a job, or and you are like, okay, how do you know about the magazine? And of course, we're talking thirteen years since we started, and they will say. When I was a kid, my dad used to have your magazine. <laughs> and he goes, oh my God, yeah, how old are you? Yeah, yeah. And of course, someone who is like, who is seven, someone in 2007, is now 20. So we need to recruit those people to the magazine as well, or make them aware of it, and make them aware of what Monocle yeah. does. So of course, there's a whole generation of people in, 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 in who are in their 20s, who all those amazing interviews you did with, you know, you know Publications 10 years ago it means nothing to them all the yeah. events you did it means nothing you have to start yeah. all over again to make people come into the brand So, of course every year there's another generation of people we have to kind of think how do we make sure that this kind of uh, has a, a kind of a trail a pathway that people feel that they can walk along and uh, gain access to the brand if that's free through the radio initially fine but let's let's see how we can beat people in that world but the funny thing is, you know, we have these cafes as well. And, you know, people, you know, I've seen people just who are random people wander in. They just see a cafe and want a cup of coffee. And you'd be in the queue behind them and they see the magazine for sale and they suddenly say to the barista, oh, why do you sell magazines? And they're like, okay, it's the Monocle <laughs> Cafe. So, Believe me, there are, there are always people whose who, who story, uh, who you need to tell your story to, rather.
0: yeah. This is all about storytelling, isn't it? Um, it's funny you say yeah. that. You're talking about young people, 20 or whatever, discovering your magazine. Um, you know, my dad, I think, is 78, and he's just discovered it last week as well. So I ordered him a subscription, which he should be getting the post this, um, this week. Um, but it's never too late. That's <laughs> why we love you, then. <laughs> <laughs> Sales have <laughs> gone up played. massively. No, but also, <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's why when we do like that, we do... Uh, this year this year suspended for obvious reasons but we do an annual quality of life conference where we bring people together from around the world in a city the last time we did it was in Madrid last year mm-hmm. and you know you, you see people coming and, and it's about a broad range of things so lot like in Madrid we talked about um, the power of being a witness so frontline reporting um, Ron Haviv, who runs the seven, uh, photographic agency out of New York yeah, and, uh, he, there's a piece of footage online of him going up a staircase in Libya, you know, the guy in front of him is shot. You know, he carries on doing his job. You know, he's an extraordinary, wow. calm, incredible man. So we, we had him on, as well as a panel about starting up uh, an entrepreneurial company in Spain and what it takes about the food industry, about um, the, 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 what next for architecture with David Kipperfield or how to build a better city with Yang Gale. So amazing range, range of topics, which means mm-hmm. that in the audience, unlike at most conferences and events, we had people who were—I don't—we had people who were in their twenties who were working for OMA in uh, Beijing, had flown in to hear about the architecture and design side of things. We had somebody who worked for the the UN in the Democratic Republic of Congo, uh, doing aid projects there. So, and then you look across the room, and there are people who are twenty and eighty, and there are men and women, and there are people of uh, every kind of background that you can imagine and they all get on and they've all got this one thing in common they all like monocle and that's the funny thing it's it, you suddenly tune in somebody who's i don't know works for an aviation company talking to somebody who uh runs a pet care business and they have a sensibility about them an interest in the world a, a belief that there's something important across the horizon a belief in a way of doing things a belief that design matters that uh that the, the provenance matters, how you c- take care of people matters. And that's the thing they've got in common. So, yeah, of course, it, it's amazing to have your dad at 78 on board. and We want more people th- th- of his age as well as more people at eighteen. We don't define ourselves really by the particular age. Most people are in their late 30s, uh, early 30s. But what we, what we do want is to make sure that we find these people who have a, an outlook on the world that is positive and engaged and entrepreneurial and excited about the possibilities of life.
0: It's incredible, isn't it? Just the 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 mission and the the dedication to that. You know, the relentless pursuit of that that you guys uh, have uh, issue after issue, day after day, in terms of um, you know capturing the stuff that's important for people um, versus you know reading the kind of doom and gloom that's often in the in the mainstream press.
1: Yeah, and we know yeah, we, we cover a lot of interesting stories. So if you listen to the radio, and you know, there's a World Health Organization, we'll have a, a view on it. We've got you know a good correspondent at the moment in Brazil. Uh, listen to Elliot, who's covering the the, the the problems and the disunity being uh, shown by Jair Bolsonaro as the president there with his his, his belief that you know, there's nothing to be done about uh, coronavirus. So we we have like tough, ordinary, everyday. Reporting, we don't do much that's sensationalist. We we would we do very little or no celebrity news. We would cover the industry, but not the individuals. We never kind of bother to do a story about a Donald Trump tweet. We try to tell stories that need a little bit more time that um, allow people to build up a, a more intriguing uh, view of the world. We try even now to remain. Uh, confident and optimistic about what could come out of any time and that's why people come to us because we try to be solution driven, we try to say okay, difficult complicated, that's fixing a city or uh, fixing up your house but here's the things that we think that potentially you could do and we're not dictatorial it's not like we claim to be a, a style bible or a fashion bible, we're not telling you what to do we're giving you some options and hoping that you can uh, navigate life a little bit easier with some of them. Mm.
0: I love on the on the on the website it says worldly guidance, cultural comment and dapper design. <laughs> um you covered <laughs> I think you covered the first two just now with that response but the dapper design um, that's just generally right. I mean, obviously the publication is beautifully produced and consistent. I mean, I, I think it's really cool how it's evolved over time. But it, like, like good, like a lot of good strong brands, has maintained its its look and feel. Um, but you guys are very much focused on uh, the world of lifestyle as well as um, you know cultural comment as well. Well, another the two different things. Yeah, so I mean,
1: lifestyle is a funny word, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, 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 So lifestyle it's just one of those big words, isn't it? lifestyle it, it, it kind of, it, it implies a kind of, a certain kind of, uh, Fluffiness. and glamour yeah, and, I don't mean that. Uh, and sometimes, some, yeah, sometimes, sometimes there's disposability, which I guess from the beginning, when we thought about our, who our reader listener was, we thought, okay, like, they're probably people who have done a little bit in their life, who've seen a few things and, when they go to the city, for example, you know they would be as interested in eating at the neighbourhood restaurant that has been there for twenty years, and everyone thinks it's just an amazing institution, as going to the the new restaurant opened by a molecular chef, where it's a twenty-course tasting menu, mm-hmm. eleven which involve involve some kind of froth or foam. That isn't <laughs> our reader. Our reader is. After design done well, mm-hmm. durability, uh, they like to know how things are made they like to know that people got paid a decent wage for making it. Mm-hmm. They want to know the, 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 the provenance of the elements went into it. So whether it's like a, a, a jacket or a table for their, their house, they kind of hope it's going to last for more than six months. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. And you know, when it comes to making homes, they're kind of wanting to make home, not places to flip and make a little bit of profit from. So we focus on both the new and the old. We, we have no fear about shooting an apartment that's been around for a few years, but has worn well and has a story to tell. We, we do lots of uh, pieces of uh, architecture which have been around much longer than that. Mm-hmm. We rarely, we, we would never shoot an apartment before someone had moved in. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we tend to like real material so you know, we're, we're intrigued by the the growth in the, the, the timber industry of building towers of timber and especially in the Nordic nations and how you create places that feel cosy and sustaining and, and look after you, your mental health as well as your, you know, your showing off your, your wealth and <laughs> where you are in life mm. so yeah I think data is, is a funny word but we often talk about like, cosier homes it's like Homes should feel like, you know, refuges. And we've been banging on about that for, since launch. And it comes true at a point like this. You know, it's great to live in a, an apartment that's, that's full of, like, statement pieces of furniture. But how much nicer at the moment to be living in an apartment where you feel you've got a good desk and you've got a view out to a green park and you've got you know, a balcony you can go and stand on. That's the kind of design that we've been asking for in everything we do, human scale, considered, done with care, and making things that are beautiful that you want to
0: keep. I almost want to cry. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think that's interesting. I mean, it's, it's, it really does, um, you know, we talked about this the other day on the webinar. It's like this moment in time is such a scary time, but it also is an element of resetting, but specifically resetting in your own home, more often than not. And for some people I know have struggled with that because their home really wasn't the home that you just defined. You know, you talked about how important the home is and, and, and you know the importance of making it cozier, cozier life, cozier homes, maybe simpler. Um, a lot of people don't seem to be living that way. Uh, certainly in Australia, And that's, again, that's a generalization. But I think it really highlighted for a lot of people the frustration almost with how they were, you know, you kind of confronted, you kind of put back into your home for, you know, 24 7 for a period there. Um, And it just made you kind of look at, well, certainly me uh, and other people I've talked to, looking at your home and going, wow, I've always just seen this as a, a transition.
1: I think for, for people who are involved in property develop, development, they should kind of take a moment to think about this because there are lots of things that haven't worked so well. So mm. you know, I guess you and me are lucky we're a bit further into our lives. You know, I have a, a small house, dog, partner, a bit of outdoor space. Being at home isn't complicated and it, it, it functions well, I'm fine. But, you know, when people start as a company owners saying, oh, th- this is the future, everybody working from home, make a moment to give a, a call to the person who's sharing their apartment with five other people yeah. and where there are disputes going on over <laughs> who gets to use the kitchen table first <laughs> and where conference calls are going to happen. And, and I know from, from to our younger team, it's like, okay, it's a little fraught. It's complicated dealing with all of these, these, these politics in an apartment where every five people are stuck at home. And, and that isn't fair so we have to find a solution for those people going forwards as well so yeah, yeah. It, it's really interesting but let's let's not you know let's not over adapt to this moment because it will surely pass one day but let's take stock let's let's realize the things that, that have been really interesting and important and hold on to those you know because the the, the tail into designing a new building is so long you that you know somebody's on the drawing board now it may not be completed for five six seven years so you have to kind of really kind of nail those ideas down because otherwise there'll be a round of you know changes to the the, the drawings or a round of of cost cutting at some point and the simple things like everybody should have a little bit of outdoor space will get crossed off the planning but Mm. that's the thing you have to hold on to going forward yeah
0: I think we've we've been in conversation with quite a few developers that we work with here, and and architects, interior designers, etc. They're already beginning to do surveys sent out to the public. They're already beginning to uh, act on this. Um, you know, this experience that we've had has highlighted a lot, of, a lot of inefficiencies in our in our lives and how we live, etc. I think coming back to the adaptive design, but also kind of going back to what you said before around uh, cozier homes. I think that a lot of us, and it'd be interesting if there's any kind of facts and figures around this, but I think a lot of people uh, construct their home or arrange their home with content um, that is often for others to see, not necessarily for their own comfort. Um, I know I can walk into some homes and they're just like, they look like a showroom and, and there's very little personality coming through from the people that live there. It's kind of they bought the home or the apartment and they filled it with, you know, one shop's furniture. Um, and somebody's made the decision for them. And I and I and I look at that sometimes or I go to an interior designer's home and I go, Oh my God, this person has phenomenal taste. It's eclectic. Uh, it's unusual. It it all works together and it and I feel a, a sense of warmth. And I feel a sense of this the content of this home is is the person's passion and collection and over time it's not a quick fix i bought a flat i'm going to fit fit it out and then over the weekend with all the content um i wonder how many people of us live in either way and of course there's a whole mixture of uh combinations of the two and i've been in situations before where i've moved into an empty apartment or a house and um i've had nothing um because all been in storage or i've got rid of it prior or you know whatever it, you definitely feel, we talk about a cozier home, you definitely feel that. And it can be a real shack of a place um, architecturally, but it can, be, it can be the warmest place and most interesting place. It doesn't have to be a multi-million dollar penthouse. Um, and, I, and I kind of, again, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I guess it's kind of the, the warmth of the home. No, no, no. I think you're touching on it, saying
1: it's important. Yeah. But I think what, what's interesting is, you know, that, you know there are you know, those, those statement developments, which, you know, we, we all know them, you know, plate glass on, on every angle uh, that leave people feeling slightly on show, even when they're trying to read a book in their apartment. Mm. Um, often places with very big, open plan, expansive spaces look, look extraordinary but don't provide that place to hunker down with a book or to have an afternoon nap. You, you, again, the, it, the coziness is, is often about playing with um, scale. So, you, of course, you have places which are big and open up. for entertaining and for friends, but there are private spaces as well. And and I think often when you go into some of these apartments, there is no sense of privacy. There's no sense that you know you, know, you, you go in and you, know, you need to use the book Washroom, whatever you go into the master bedroom and use a washroom there. So somehow, private spaces—the bits of houses you don't feel you should just wander into and mm. explore when you pop around, thats important as well. And then when you have privacy, and when you have places to sit to reflect, to read, to regroup, then that's good for your mental health. And I think also the materials that we use in our buildings—tactile—is you know, having a bit of a, a touch tough moment uh, at this time because people worry about what surfaces uh, hold but actually tactile is important you know, timber uh, slate stone, uh, parquet flooring under your feet those tactile sensations are also really an enriching and good to your to your mind and I think that often we end up with buildings which have you know steel and glass and uh, uh, I don't know, a lot of experience which are not that different to swiping your finger across your 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 the screen of your phone it's mm-hmm. very smooth and polished mm-hmm. but actually it's those different textures that, that, that somehow it just makes you feel better and we know that also you know that just a very simple thing if you can see greenery from your windows that's important so i think how we use public realm and gardening and the planting of trees i don't mean just putting in a few little sticks here and there on a the development and calling that planting trees. I mean, putting in proper trees that <laughs> provide shade and shelter and change with seasons. Those things also are not just pretty and nice and cozy. They're, they're good for our brains. And I think that's the, the other interesting thing is that property developers are good about how things look. They're often not so good on how things feel. And again, as we've been shut down, locked down, tested and tried by this pandemic, I think it is important that people think, what, what could design and the design of our homes do to improve our mental well-being and to, bring, to bolster mental health? And I think that's something that it shouldn't be a niche subject. That should just be part of the design. Does this place make people feel happy, safe, secure? Once they close the front door at the end of the day, and actually be a little bit of a test for those questionnaires as
0: well. It's it's interesting you say that because that very rarely comes up in property marketing, does it? In terms of that, how it makes you feel. I mean, it makes you it creates desire, I suppose. Um, but it doesn't. I I never see any 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 property. I mean, that's a generalisation again. But there's very few property developments I see. Um, where they create uh, places for reflection or for you to, you know, downtime or, and relax, and you know, I mean, people, people, a lot of people don't read books anymore, but um, it's going to get away from the technology. We're living our lives at such a fast pace, um, and I know our industry is like that and always has been, but kind of the broader world is is um, equally doing that. We've we're really stressed out. It's it's really bad for our mental health there seems to be no time to stop or relax and and take some kind of create some quiet time. And I, and that I definitely noticed that huge, hugely was missing in my life. Um, because I thought that was, I don't know. I, I don't, I didn't know how to kind of deal with that. I don't know if it's because I had thought that that was being lazy, you know, that, that time to kind of, uh, you know, get your energy back and, um, to have that time where you're kind of focusing on being happy or kind of, uh, Refresh yourself. Do you know what I mean? That's just like you. you probably work like crazy hours yeah, yeah. too, don't you? Are you rushing around?
1: Uh, <laughs> less rushing the last few weeks, but um, yeah, normally you know, you'd be on i I'd be on a flight every ten days, or I'd be going somewhere every ten days, giving a talk, you know, seeing our correspondents, reporting, doing events. And that is all grounds ball, and it's been interesting. And and uh, I've tried to make the most of this time in a, in a different way. But I think what's interesting, you're right. maybe a lot of younger people don't read the books as their moment of um, taking some outage from the day. But it's it's interesting. I think oddly, lots of younger people in my office are actually pretty good at uh, finding things that do make them feel good about themselves. You know, whether that's sport or uh, Yoga, or, or they've got mm-hmm. some mindfulness app on their phone, mm-hmm. and whatever people need is, is 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 good for them. And I think that interestingly, I think there's a generation coming up; they're a bit better about thinking about these things than perhaps you know, my generation was, which you know, which was you know just get on with things and it will all be fine, and you know, chin up, and don't be a baby, and don't worry about it. Yeah. And you know, there's a there's a there is a balance, of course. You know, that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> the best advice is just to, oh, the hell, I'm not going to worry about this. I'm just going to carry on. It will all going to be fine. Um, but other times you do have to kind of stop and reflect. The best thing is it's just interesting that you know, it, it, just jumping back to that property thing here in the, in, in the UK, you still see property marking, which is, you know, about um, if you purchase this apartment, people will envy your lifestyle. Wow. Live here. It's you know, It's got, you know, the ultimate view of, of the world—it's you know, like all great, but what's the bit inside? What what what's it going to do for uh, you know your 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 life? And that's the bit that it's—it's it's really interesting. It's not that discussed, but yeah, you know, mm. and I think we touched it on the podcast and on sorry on the webinar last week, yeah. which is, is this is all important stuff. And, and as we go forward, how how more, much more important is it in like the world of? In, I don't know, in hospital design in all sorts of things that's all design and architecture as well so there's this notion of, of adding a bit of kind of, let's just think how people will feel when they close the door whether it's a restaurant, a bar a home, an office those things are good and that isn't just solved with like throwing a few bean bags around and putting in a ping pong table <laughs> of course that's been a bit of a a go-to is that oh yeah we're super cool and we're kind of looking after every member of staff because they can pay ping pong great if they want to pay ping pong that's nice it's super cool you did that but that's not enough that's not enough to say that you're taking care of your 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 team the the people you work with what what is the 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 broader thing and that you and i'm sure all you know companies you know monocle included with that's uh, an interesting discussion to have and, and and one that will be had uh increasingly as we go ahead
0: I just, where you're saying that, I was remembering uh, it was in New York last year, and I was walking along the, uh, the High Line. Uh, I was staying at the Standard Hotel and walked along the High Line, and um, there was this beautiful Zaha Did uh, building there. And I don't know if you've been down there lately, but you can see the, you can see straight into some of these apartments. And um, in the Zaha Did building on the first floor, I think it was, there was this apartment that was full of, like, antique furniture. And I was just, like, looking at it, going for ages, going, how weird is that? <laughs> you know, you're in this incredible modern building, and you've got antique furniture. I think there's even a chandelier hanging down. And and I thought, what a what an odd juxtaposition. But now I'm now after what we've just talked about, I think if that person if that if that makes that person happy, they should feel comfortable in um, uh, in furnishing a house, no matter how the how you know with whatever means and um, you know designs or furniture that you feel makes you happy irrespective of the architecture i mean it's a funny thing isn't it that kind of to see such a juxtaposition uh, in that regard
1: yeah i don't know it's 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 complicated because certainly if you go someone had a a modernist masterpiece of a house that was filled with terrible furniture from a different period you might think you're wasting an opportunity to kind of play off the architecture yeah I agree, but then I agree. you know, sometimes you know, I, I i went to, I, I have seen that building and i, I also went to see uh, another interesting building that she, um that she did when she was alive the max the Maxi art gallery in rome mm-hmm. um but it's quite funny because the building is so dominant it's quite hard to find yeah, you know, even like a, a flat anyone <laughs> to hang a piece of artwork on yeah. and the exhibition seems to be slightly kind of struggling to adapt to the space and i initially went there maybe they've worked their way around that now so Mm. i don't know some of those those big statement pieces of architecture you know you feel sorry for anybody moving into them because it's (laughs) like the architecture is going to kind of shout over you whatever you do
0: yeah well that's interesting i mean I, i think that's uh I was always very impressed when I when I first came here uh, about 17 years ago to Australia. And Melbourne is uh, particularly uh, an incredible, very livable city. I think it's it's voted, voted like number one city repeatedly. Um, uh, you know, lifestyle and and uh, I know you hate that word. Uh, you know, the most livable city in the world is one of them. Uh, Vancouver, I think, is second and um, whatever. But uh, I think that in terms of the architecture there and the parks and the space um apart from the climate we have a better climate here in sydney but in terms of kind of them embracing design it's it's truly is a modern city um and i and i was always very impressed at how heritage homes how they converted heritage homes and ex- did extensions of very modern pushing the kind of architectural kind of boundaries on with materials and shapes and stuff and it, and it works so well um I find I like that combination. I like that kind of the, the old and the new. Um, I feel comfort in that. I feel like uh, a sense of kind of, I guess historical value or longevity in that. I uh, wonder I wonder if, I wonder if our, the helms today are, you know, we're pushing them harder architecturally as whether we're losing a disconnection with the people who are are going to be living in them. Because we, I mean, they're definitely not cozy. Do you know what I mean? Like you talk about cozier before. Um, yeah,
1: so I, I don't know. It, and you know, it, 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 it depends a little bit where you live, what your perspective is. But I guess for when you're in London, we've, we've, we've gone through a very strange and difficult period of property development where there was a huge amount of speculation based on the fact that there would be overseas investors coming here to snap up properties. So, it didn't kind of matter whether they were that livable because in the end, no one was really going to live in them. They were going to be rented out probably on Airbnb and that would be that. And of course now you know, the Airbnb world has vanished at this time and mm. uh, the investors, well, there are some investors around but many fewer than there were and property prices are, are set to go down here in the UK. So we we, we hopefully will come out of that into a different space. And you, you do see people who, who who want to do things well, but the, the land prices are expensive in London. So again, it's people are always trying to kind of try and get value engineer things so they, they make the most money from every single square foot of development. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I, I just hope that we're, we're going to edge out of that and that there will be a little bit of a change. A different conversation is, you know, I spoke to somebody in Copenhagen the other day who said that, It's interesting in, in, you know, uh, know, obviously a a Nordic country with a a long tradition of uh, society pulling together and sharing things and more equitable than many other places. But in in Denmark, it's the largest number of cooperatives in in a whole generation. They have a tradition of cooperatives, but of building cooperatives being set up, coming together to build apartment blocks and take on developments where you have multi-generational housing, where you... Mm you think about what the the life of kids and older people will be there and where you're not building for profit you're building for life and that is that uh, it's difficult to add that cooperative attitude into big commercial development but somehow when the owners in effect are, in, are invested at the very first stage what gets built and the outcome is completely different you know that you 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 just do see a different tone in the kind of buildings that are made mm. and a different, a different ambition that you, you do want people to, to get good lives from the places they live in rather than good profit.
0: Mm. I love that buildings for life. Jesus a oh, building for life. Um, we need people to be thinking that way.
1: Well, and I think some people are, you know, that's the good thing. It's, you know, there, there are around the fringes and, and you and know, I, I, I know in Australia there are people who you know we've done, we've covered projects in Australia where people have been trying to rethink what apartments could be and using you know using common space. Uh, I think there was a project we covered called the Commons, which had a, yeah. a, a an interesting take on 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 and how you bring people together. So there are always people trying to pioneer. But the funny thing is, you know, it's, you know, it's the same in all of our industries, you know, that you think, um, you think change should be easier than it is because you, you try to make just small incremental changes and it turns out there's a whole kind of world of processes and things locked in that make, you know, just the tiniest incremental change to the way a business is run difficult to pull off. So. We'll see. But um, I believe that there are people who do want to kind of change things around.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Definitely see it more so now. Um, what I was going to say was in terms of the uh, the magazine, what, what's your view on uh, the current state of magazines in the, around the world? Uh, have you got a favorite magazine outside of Monaco?
1: Well, I think all magazines are going to be facing an interesting time, especially this summer. News, I just read this morning that, you know, in the US, many of the the big titles out of companies like Hearst are going to suspend doing uh, many of their summer issues because the, the ad revenue isn't there and they're having to question the model about how they push forward. So they're doing that one issue for uh, July, August, September or June, July, August, um, just to kind of get them through to hopefully an autumn in the northern hemisphere that feels a little bit more commercially robust. Um, but yeah, I pick up. I, I tend to pick up magazines, even in languages I don't speak, wherever I go to see what people do. Um, I, I like design and architecture magazines. You know, I I'd, I'd pick up you know Spanish AD, which always seems to be the to me the, the best of the Architectural Digest magazines. Um, I pick up uh, business titles like Bilanz in Switzerland, which was even though I don't understand all language, I always find something in there that seems <laughs> to be worth worth. Dealing, eel uh, the magazine from il solo ventcott ore in the, the business newspaper in uh, in Italy I really like uh, Domus the, the design and architecture magazine which David Chipperfield has been editing this year has been doing some amazing wow. things um, there's a lot of there's a lot of good good magazines out there that you know are, are wonderful to buy and and I don't know I still find uh, pleasure in in, yeah, some, even the oh, new yorker i have a subscription which means i can read it online mm-hmm. but i like getting a copy i like having it to uh read on a journey to uh sit in a park and read you know i i i i, I still and i know it's not the same for everybody but i still there's something about the commitment of putting ink on a page and making that commitment of, of Putting down words on a page that is powerful and it seems more powerful to me often than the digital version of it, where it can be erased, changed, and adapted again and again. There's a, a commitment to good, proper magazines, which I think is amazing. And and even now, there's something about seeing you know, a double page spread, first graph, or even an amazing ad on on a poster or on a on in print, which is. Which is impressive, and somehow more impressive. To, and I think it It's not just me. There's lots of younger people in our office who are often kind of telling me about new magazines, or they're they're trying to show me a piece of you know um, print display that they think is impressive as well. So it works when it works. When it works, it, it works very well.
0: Yeah, it's funny that because we we have a design studio here in uh, in Sydney, and I was always amazed at the well, I got frustrated to be honest with a lot of these young designers coming through, like graduating last year, uh, you know, and um, and uh, you got a cockatoo as well. No,
1: no, I wish I had a cockatoo. I I moved, I moved near the window. I'm afraid there's a child walking down our street. Uh, that's I've okay. tried to ban them. I've tried to ban them, but they.
0: Uh... Um, no, I was, I was going to say to my guys, to Ant, uh, is my business partner and um, uh, group creative director, I said, how come these guys keep coming through, guys and girls? Um, so that's that's kind of from my Canadian upbringing. I say guys all the time, which you're not meant to say anymore. Um, but they were coming through and they're like 19 years old or something. And, they, and they, they're just fascinated by print and they want to do print. They don't want to do digital. I'm hiring them because I want them to do digital projects. And they're actually, their preference is to print still and um it's interesting i would have thought i remember david carson saying oh god ages ago when was it 2000 probably around the 2000 the end of print um he was very strong about that um i don't know if you remember that but it kind of created yeah. quite a stir in the industry and um it's still nowhere near the end of print and may never be i guess
1: I and it's funny you you you, you get somebody coming to our office and he's like 20 and it's a first byline and you you see the the difference in reaction to when they see their name in print on a piece of paper mm. and when they see their name on something digital. It's like they're so excited by both, but there's still something that gets people when they see their name. Uh, you know, when we do books, for example, and you know, uh, a young researcher or a young writer gets to be part of making a book and they see their name in a book, that means something to people yeah. and it's you know, it's funny that uh, i did see a piece of research which was, which was asking it was a complicated thing about the, the, how people use print and paper and things and and even people in their you know the younger people in their 20s they were there was they wanted to see like legal documents on paper they didn't want to just see them digitally and that's because we ultimately know there's something about that I thing I said is commitment. It's like when you see ink on paper, there's a there's a there's some kind of belief behind it that feels important. You know, of course, people put stupid things on paper as well, but it carries with it a potential to tell stories in interesting ways, which I still think is fascinating. And also, you know, the things I hate about like e-readers and things is like a great designer. They they choose a font, they choose the point size, they they labor over how the words break on page and and the, the the kerning and all those things and then suddenly you see someone reading something on some digital reader and you can see it looks like a, a really crap experience and you're like okay why on earth would you put up with that you yeah. Yeah, you're 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 fascinated by design maybe but you read something that just looks like an appalling piece of co- of, of copy layout and that's and that's that's strange and so you know I would always vote for 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 the role of print, you know, we have tons of digital projects and uh, we, are going, we are going to look at how we move uh, even more into that, that world, mm-hmm. but we will never get rid of the print. The print is is a, a key anchor part of what we do and will remain a, you know, a very valuable part of, uh, of, of the business and, and a profitable part of the business. It's it, it's still a lot of people like to see their brand on an outside back
0: cover. Hold the back page. Um, <laughs> the back page. That the, the, um, what I was going to say was, yeah, that that kind of uh, dedication to quality journalism, in in quality execution of that, um, I, I definitely feel that slipped around the you know through through technology, etc. Um, and I do, I agree with you. I do think that that anybody. Uh, most people appreciate the 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 quality. I guess quality control and the dedication to doing something well. I mean, I don't know if I've ever. I've never seen a a mistake in your publication. Is, what's the worst mistake you've ever? Has has there ever been a mistake? <laughs> Someone's <laughs> last game been a wrong. Mistake.
1: Believe no, no. Believe me, there's been a mistake or i I'd uh, love to hear
0: some. Any uh, any her- horrific ones?
1: Well, first of all, let's let's just set out the parameters for this. Let's imagine <laughs> that you're printing 40,000 words. In in a magazine, you're yeah. doing it ten times a year. That's you know, it's four hundred thousand words. On top of that, you have you know books. Uh, you have additional magazines. Uh, we do uh, four specials. We do a series of newspapers. There's the copy and the newsletters. I don't know how many words are you putting out. A million words a year. Now the idea that you would produce that at speed uh, without getting anyone's name ever wrong or without ever having a typo is, is crazy. And, and occasionally people will write to you and they'll say, I'd like to point out on you know, page <laughs> 97, you you have a typo. If you have typos like this, how can I trust anything else in oh your magazine? You're like, God. okay, come on, are you, are you crazy? So, and I do point out that you know, you can crack open the New York Times and they have a, a correction, clarifications per page or a, a column rather Every single day, every single day, they have made a mistake that they need to, to check and amend. Um, uh, we, yeah, we've got we've 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 occasionally got you know got the wrong photo run, run with a story. There's been uh, the strange thing is that we have a very good fact-checking process, mm-hmm. but you know that you're only as good as the last round of changes. So someone spots an error they get it amended and then something else happens. It nudges a word over a, a line that someone doesn't notice is over matter or uh, in, in adding one word, they ah. they somehow don't notice that the, 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 the name was incorrect in two places and they forget to double check that it's, it's not elsewhere in the story. Right. So you have these tiny things which, you know, believe me, they, they are so frustrating, so innovating, but uh, you have to think did we do our best there and what can we learn from this? So you, you put in more and more processes to try and catch those things. And again, it's that you you have new people coming to the company and all the time you're, you're, you're trying to improve things. Yeah, yeah. But one well, the, the day that it's, uh, you've got a whole year with just pure perfection, in the end you forgive yourself for some errors. is because as I said, you're doing you're doing journalism in the moment, mm-hmm. and you're, you're testing yourself as much as, as you can. But so the only way to get rid of every one of those mistakes would be to say, okay, we, will, we won't publish anything for one year. We will <laughs> sit on the story. We will go over it again and again. Oh we will God. let people read it rather than three. And then we, we may print it once we've put it to peer review. But we're not a scientific journal. We're, no. we're, we're journalists. We, we will do our damnedest. We'll yeah. try hard. We'll push ourselves ever further to be, be perfect. Yeah. But when errors happen, acknowledge them, adapt them, make sure that you, 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 you recognize in the process what went wrong. And as long as people can put up their hand and say, Look, that, was, that was my bad. As long as someone owns it and you know you have a way out of it, the only difficulty you, you ever have in life is when someone says, oh, nothing to do with me. And then you know that the problem will happen again. I've, I've never been in that situation at Monaco. People are always
0: like, "Yeah, you know, okay not happy it's when, okay, when they've Andrew. made a mistake. It's okay, mate. I understand. <laughs> like, you know, we all make mistakes. <laughs> it's like, I was watching that, have you seen that TV series called Driving, uh, what's it called? it's a racing car formula one racing car series is so good and there was this guy who was who's you know when they come into the pit stop and they change the oil or fuel and change the tires and stuff um one guy didn't put the one of the wheels on properly um and, and, and you just see him afterwards just like the car takes off screaming off um back into the race and he starts kicking the the walls and holding his head down in shame um and the car the other it was two cars and the other car came in he did exactly same thing again um and it was just it was just like oh poor guy i mean that would have cost millions just to just that mistake anyways um i think it's gonna talk about the, the urbanist because i think that's a really cool um do you call it a podcast or is it like a radio yeah is it part of well your
1: radio? it's a yeah no it's a, pod, it's a podcast it, it goes out um first time um as a radio show on Twenty Four every Thursday here in, in London, and then um, you can listen live, um, and then it becomes a podcast. The minute it's finished, it's available uh, on any kind of platform you can imagine. And yeah, it's it's a, it's a thirty-minute piece of storytelling about urbanism and cities, and its, it's job is to sit in between um, the discussions and debates that happen in academia, which happen in city hall, which happen. Uh, amongst experts who are planning and making our cities, and and us, the public, people like me and you who aren't sitting in on those debates every day, but want to know what people are imagining for our cities, and also think we should have a a right to kind of dip in with our own thoughts about what should be done as well. You know, we're increasingly urban society, we've talked about some of the challenges already around housing and things, but everyone has an opinion whether it's my like transport or whether it's about how to make a nice park and we want to bring together all, all those parts you know the community activists um, and architects and urbanists and we tackle some tough things so in the last few weeks we've been looking at the the resilience of cities around the pandemic and we've been doing that in an interesting way we've We've spoken to also people about food in the city when you know people saw themselves queuing at supermarkets and for the first time question about how food got into the city. We did a really interesting um episode with woman called Caroline Steele who talked about a book she's done called cytopia, uh, which is about the history of food in the city, which was really a, a, a wonderful person to speak to mm. but then over the years we've done you know we've done funnier ones as well we've done you know animals in the city and we've done the pace of cities, you know, why cities need to have uh, slow moments, and uh, we've, we've so we've done psychology, we've done history, we've we've done everything, mm. but in the end, it should just be a little snapshot of of what's happening around the debate that happens in every city about where we go from here, and and has never been more pertinent. We're all asking questions about what will mobility look like in the next few months, what, what will. The workspace look like in cities in the next few months. You know, how how should pavements and sidewalks function? Do we need more bike lanes? That's 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 the the grit that the urbanist tries to cover.
0: How many people do you have listening in on that? Do you Do you monitor? How do you monitor that? Because you got a whole uh, so bunch you, of other shows too.
1: Yeah, yeah. So we uh, for, for total for monocle twenty four is roughly like tw- um, on the podcast. Side, it's like two million downloads um, every single month. And that's a kind of a a, a healthy and growing audience, wow. and and we and what's interesting is because people have been at home and have had more time to listen than have had on radio in the background, mm. uh, the response to Monocle Twenty Four has been amazing. And also because you know if you couldn't get down to your you know your newsstand in Milan because you know you were stuck at home or uh, in Madrid you couldn't get out to pick up a copy of the magazine this was a way of staying in touch with monocle and the editors and um, hearing our views in a very simple daily way and so we do news shows every day there's a there's a two big anchor news story, um, news shows every day reporting from around the world live again out of london each day uh and we do uh, some of our radio shows out of zurich now as well um we have a, a, a radio little setup in hong kong and there's an end-of-day show that's now produced out of um, Toronto and New York, so a huge amount of, of content. And people have just been writing and saying look, you know, I don't know. People have just been nice at this time. They they wrote and like we're really grateful. We, you know, we've we've enjoyed what you've done. It's um, different to what everybody else is doing. You know, yes, you give me the news, but I feel upbeat at the end of the day. Uh, we, we play some pretty cheesy pop in between, and it's like it's it's a, a sunny dispositioned radio station, even when we're covering the world of the pandemic.
0: Isn't it interesting you say that? I, 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 I. Do you feel like the people have become nicer through this, generally?
1: Yeah, I think we, 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 we tried to touch on this the other day, and I, and I do think that people have had the time to be nicer, you know, and, and i noticed, and 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 also I think that we're aware that other people, you know, something we touched on earlier, that some people have found it harder than others to kind of adapt to this time. Mm. And, you know, Again, I saw a good friend last week who was like, okay, my my partner lives in Spain. Uh, normally, this time of the year, I'd be moving my job there. I can't do that. I've been in London in my apartment, and I'm on my own, and it's been tough. It's actually been tough because, you know, until last week, you, you weren't meant to see people outside of your household here in the UK. Yeah, But, you know, then you suddenly think, okay, this is, a, this is, this is a difficult. And I, and I, you know, and I think you, many of the people around me in, in, in my life in all sorts of ways have you know, flourished at the time and done well. Um, others just taking it in their stride, but other people have wobbled. And, and I think that we we aware, we're all aware of that. And I think it's made us a little bit more cautious about kind of like kicking off about things because, uh, who, who would want to do that? You, you, you kind of, want to come out of this time a little bit um if not physically <laughs> mentally uh arm in arm with people uh to say look yeah hey, i'm here what, what do you need tell me and i think that's you know, the, the the child you heard just going on the, the, uh, our little street is a little news uh, in central london you can't drive down it you can walk through it um so people come back and forth but because it's reasonably quiet the the neighbors have all been outside their houses quite a lot we've all gelled in a really interesting way mm. friendships have been uh, if not made certainly bolstered and a network of support has gone in for a, a, a guy who's uh, in his 80s who's, who's <laughs> to be honest is, is, has got more more vim in his life than I have I think but anyway <laughs> he's, uh, he's, certainly, he's certainly not somebody who particularly needs uh, a huge amount of care in fact he has to be encouraged to kind of make use of your time but people have enjoyed that. People have enjoyed helping, and 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 and, that, and that's been great. And it, just the other day, somebody had gone to a, an amazing baker's and had bought made, just really lovely loaves of bread and just delivered them to everyone in the road. How, how nice is that? Now that just wouldn't happen in normal times. So no. people have, I think people have, especially in cities where it's been tougher. I think people have, have paused and thought, actually, what what can I do to be nice?
0: Well, look, I want to. Um, I'm going to wrap it up. Um, but it's been, um, a, it's been really cool to catch up with you, uh, again. And, um, I think like, like your readers, I want to thank you for your, you and Tyler and your team's, um, perseverance and dedication to creating such a, an incredible, uh, publication and, and world around Monocle. Um, and it's just, um, yeah, I think a lot of people will be very thankful for your, um, your efforts and your perspective on life. So thank you. Well, thank you, then.
1: Brilliant, well, great uh, great to talk to you and and I hope the people can make some sense of (laughs) what we've is on about this morning. No, it's it's, it's cool.
0: Thank you all for listening. If you want to find out more about Designing Your Life, head over to our website at designyourlife.com.au or on our social media at Frost Collective. If you enjoyed this episode and found it inspiring, Please don't forget to review or subscribe.